welcome to the Jay Martin Show. I'm sitting down with Andy Sheckman. Andy, it's really good to see you. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, Jay, it's been uh, it's been uh, something I've been wanting to do for a while. I've been following you from afar. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to be here. And uh, well, thanks. Pleasure's all mine. So here's where we're going to start. Uh, I want to start with the inflation cycle a little bit. I've heard you say that most investors don't truly grasp what inflation will do to their holdings. And so walk me through your concerns on that thought. Well, I think that when you take a look at inflation as, as a whole, as a problem, Jay, first and foremost, we have to make the assumption or the understanding that the inflation numbers that we are being fed are arguably false. Um, it's in the vested interest of the Bureau of Labor Statistics and the powers that be to show us numbers that understate inflation considerably. And, you know, if we look at, for example, what uh, um, the numbers that we're seeing from uh, John Williams of shadowstats.com, he'll tell us that inflation is truly at 17, 18%, not the eight and a half percent we're being told. You can take a look at the National Bureau of Economic Research who came out with, a, a, they're a Washington-based think tank, and they came out with a, a report not too long ago uh, in July when inflation measured by the CPI was 9%. And they said, look, if we took the 13.6% inflation of June of 1980 and applied the same metrics that are being applied today, that number would actually be 9%. And so it was, you know, basically what they're saying is that our inflation, any way you look at it, is at least 50% greater, if not much more. And I guess where I, I think the rubber meets the road is in the, the realization that going all the way back to Roman times, when when they would cut the 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 edges of the, the coins to yeah. you know make less and less and less silver inside of the coins that were being paid to the soldiers or whoever else. From that point forward, all the way to where we are today, it's been clear that politicians have chosen austerity, or excuse me, inflation over austerity every single time. And that it's in their vested interest, not only to understate inflation, but to create inflation. Now we're being told that 2% inflation is the target, and that is good. And I, I guess I would say, why is that good? I would think that negative 2% would be better than 2% in that the lower the inflation, the higher the standard of living. And I think that's something that we all have to, to come to understand is that we are in an inflationary cycle where I believe the Federal Reserve does not have the resolve to get tough on inflation. If we look at that statement by the National Bureau of Economic Research, when we had that 13.6% inflation in 1980, and it rose a little bit from there, the then Fed chairman, Paul Volcker, raised the federal funds rate to 19 and three quarters percent. That's getting tough on inflation. And we contrast that to what Fed chairman Powell has done by raising the federal funds rate to two and a quarter percent that's not getting tough on inflation. In fact, quite to the contrary, it's still very accommodative in terms of the economy's perspective. But the real problem is that we have a balance sheet that has exploded uh, on, on the Fed side to $9 trillion, all of it in interest, interest rate sensitive investments that have suppressed interest rates and created an environment where 
where you have distortions in asset prices, um, substantially distorted. And if rates rise, which is the only way to really get tough on inflation, the Federal Reserve will be written about in history books as being the entity that blew up the American way of life. And so I guess my premise as we move forward and talk about other things today is that the Federal Reserve has no intention of getting tough on inflation. And if it's up to them, it will be death by hyperinflation before it's death by depression. Because as rates rise as the antidote to higher inflation, the inversely correlated um, effects of stocks, bonds, and real estate all at near all-time highs or at all-time highs, inversely correlated to those rise in rates will be a spiritual, religious experience for people in this country. And I think they don't want that to happen. So I think inflation is something that um, is insidious even when it really is 2%. And it becomes much more than that when it's 7 8 9%. And it becomes much more than that when the numbers that we're being fed have us believing a certain level of inflation is is real when actually it's probably two or three times that. And um, I, I don't know. I, I think, Jay, I think that inflation is something that is um, is really the, the biggest problem here uh, domestically, because the only way to fix it is to raise rates. And the, the act of raising rates is something that will blow things up in this economy to a level that most people have no understanding for and are not prepared for. And uh, just the inverse correlation in, in all of these markets to rising rates is enough to make, I believe, uh, the Fed punt on getting tough on inflation and jawbone and use rhetoric instead, and maybe let the market do the dirty work for them. And that's something I hope we have a chance to talk about here as we continue. Interesting. And so that that's what you're speaking about when you say, U.S. economy would have somewhat of a, a religious experience as, as rates go up and the broad yes. equities market continues to crash and people's retirement savings just get diminished to nothing. And that's okay. I just want to make sure I understood that point. Correctly. Yeah, well, I mean, just look at the you have the federal funds rate at two and a quarter percent. Yet I bought a home here in Florida a year ago in May with three percent mortgage. That's now seven percent. The federal funds rate's only gone up a little bit. But what happens if they really got tough on inflation, push that federal funds rate up commensurate with with uh, the level of inflation, even by their bogus 8.5% CPI number, you put in uh, the, the federal funds rate to 9%, you're going to see mortgages at 15 and 16%. You're going to yeah. see trillions of dollars worth of bonds accumulated at, at 0 and 1% vaporize. And what does that do to the stock market and all the corporations who have, who have built out their infrastructure, hired people, done all sorts of things based upon a faulty premise of low interest rates, maintaining low interest rates. So yes, that is exactly what I'm talking about. And I think it becomes something much more serious than a buzz phrase as a religious experience. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Now, backing up uh, to the CPI exactly, like how arbitrary is that basket of ingredients, Andy? Because I agree with you. Like it's, I, I, I anybody who watches this channel understands incentives and, you know, our, our politicians are incentivized to tell us that inflation is dropping and that they've got this under control. And I, what I expect to occur, you tell me if you think I'm on the mark or way off here, is that we're, we're probably going to see increased and prolonged inflation and in all the necessities that we require to live like food and fuel. We may see inflation come down in the discretionary items that we don't really need, right? But I expect, therefore, that's where our politicians will point to and say, see, we got 
you know, the new car market under control, or they got, you know, these random things that aren't necess necessary to our life make them down in price as wallets just become tighter. That's just supply and demand economics. But like, how arbitrary is that basket of goods in the CPI in terms of like giving us the number that's going to instill confidence that our politicians are getting it right? Yeah, I think it's it's rather arbitrary. I mean, look, first of all, it strips out food, energy, and housing, and they have, yeah, you know, right uh, a, a a strange metric for for factoring this uh, renters uh, equivalent, whatever it is. It's all a bunch of nonsense. The bottom line is, look, look, energy prices are down a bit, and that's great, but inflation is still by their metric eight point five percent higher this July than it was last July. The food at home index, which is is something that you know, obviously all of us need to eat. It's 13.1% higher over the last 12 months. That's the largest month over month increase uh, since 1979. Um, and you take a look at what's going on with egg prices up 47% year over year. You look at the producer price index, which is a, a you know, leading indicator to CPI, that's going straight up too. So while the, the, metrics by which they gauge the CPI are blurred uh, and, and, and tell us something that really isn't quite true. You take a look at all the, the things that you need. And like you said, it would be the, the things that you don't need that you want, like uh, maybe a television or, or an iPad or yeah, the, the newest uh, iPhone, whatever. Yeah. Right. The, they may bring those prices down, but the cost of things that you need, um, insurance, um, energy, housing, food, all of these things, most of which aren't even really calculated in the CPI are going to the moon. And that's exactly why they have massaged these numbers for so long, because it is in their, in every government's vested interest to keep the, the inflation rate low. Every government wants to spend as much as they can without it leading to higher inflation. So the best way to do that is to blur the numbers and to pull out the things that are truly inflating and tell us, hey, inflation is under control. Don't worry about it. And, you know, it, 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 it's something that really is a common thread we've seen since the beginning of governments and the beginning of time where all governments choose inflation over austerity. And, and ours is no different at this time, especially when these tough decisions getting tough on on inflation and starting to to pair off or or, or or get rid of debt and get rid of the 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 balance sheet that, that is on the Fed that is bloated from from 800 billion in, in 2008 to where we are right now at nine trillion to actually do these kinds of things has a, a an effect on the economy that where we are because it's so over leveraged because there is no price discovery because of all the misallocations and capital and resources over the last few years, it's a problem. Look, in the past three years, more money was created in the United States than in the entire history of the country preceding. And so we're at a period of time where, you know, inflation is a function always of an increase in the money supply. And, and, and you add a decrease in production into it. Look what the last three years were massive increase in the money supply and everyone has been paid to not be productive and so you have so much of this inflation built into the system right now that there really isn't much of a way for them to release that valve without really creating i think some serious problems so um 
It's very arbitrary. They're not going to make it easy for us to understand. They're going to try and point to, well, gasoline is down heading into the midterms. That's a great thing. But look, the bottom line is simply this. that I don't think we've even begun to see uh, peak inflation even remotely closely. I think you're going to see inflation continue to be a problem heading into the future. In fact, I see massive inflation on the horizon. And I know we talked offline uh, about why I, I see that. But I think it's going to be a massive problem, bigger than most people expect. You know, and, and I agree with you when it comes to those necessary items. I think maybe, okay, we're seeing a bit of a correction in the gasoline price. Like, well, what 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 season is it, right? Like, and what's going on in Europe right now? I don't, I can't expect any other outcome other than skyrocketing energy prices coming into this winter. I want to get into that with you. I want to stick with a thought here, though. So back on the arbitrary nature of the CPI ingredients so they can spit out a number that's favorable to us. It's absolutely gaslighting, you know, especially if you're stripping out those core necessities. You could say you're bringing the inflation number down, but if I'm paying 46% more for eggs by your stat there, how come I feel poor if you're telling me you're getting the inflation number down and it confuses us. And so, you know, one thing I, I try to encourage with this channel and just with myself is to, to separate myself from all these numbers. The CPI does not really reflect anything in my life. You know, if I'm, you know, uh, expecting my second kid and I'm, I'm shopping for my first house, there's a lot of locations in the United States. The, my inflation rate would be somewhere around 35% over the last 18 months. I mean, that's my personal inflation rate based on my needs, right? And so it does become more personal always. Therefore, Andy, you know, talk to my audience, talk to me about, about the insurance policies, right? If we're expecting continued and prolonged and increasing inflation in the core necessities of life, you know, what should the portfolio adjustments be, right? What should be my my... My, my bedrock in the portfolio, maybe where, where could I speculate? Like, what were you, what are you doing right now? What are you, what are you looking at? You know, it's, it's, that's a tough question because everyone wants and needs income and, and certainly where rates are right now, if you talk about the 10 year treasury with a 3% uh, uh, coupon on a 10 year treasury with inflation at, at eight and a half percent, you're negative five and a half percent compounding per year. That does doesn't work. And when you talk about traditional forms of investing, um, stocks, bonds, real estate are all inversely correlated to a rise in rates. Um, this is a difficult, a difficult time to, to position yourself. I think it's a time for people to realize that return on your money is not as important right now as return of your money. Maintaining purchasing power is really, I think, what's very important. We are seeing a trend, Jay, that's quite remarkable, actually. We are seeing a drawdown of metal off the London Metals Exchange, the COMEX market, being backdoored by the commercial banks out of uh, the ETFs at a level that I have never seen in 30 years, ever. And I guess what I would say to you, it seems to me that the most well-funded, well-informed, um, successful traders on the planet are choosing assets, commodities, um, gold and silver. And not only are they choosing it, you can see they are removing counterparty risk and taking possession. Deliveries off of COMEX at a massive scale and the LME off a massive scale that we never saw before ever, where deliveries represented but a tiny fraction of, of um volume on the COMEX market and the LME. And now it's extraordinary. So I think that people need to understand. In fact, you know, if, if we take a look at 
what's happened over the last couple of weeks, just to give an idea of what I think the biggest money in the world is doing. I think it, it's an, it's it, it sheds a lot of light. So first of all, um, if you look at what's happened on the Comex market in one day a week ago, the uber wealthy people had, had have taken possession of 41% of all the physical kilo bars on the Comex market. Now, what's interesting about that is the, the Comex market, the big banks typically don't deal in kilo bars. Uh, they deal in 100 ounce or 400 ounce bars. The kilo bars, to me, would be representative of this group on Comex that we've seen come out of nowhere called the Others. Now, there's a report that is published by the Comex every week. It's called the Commitment of Traders. And for my entire career, it showed the positioning of the commercial banks versus the positioning of the hedge funds called the, the specs. And that's it. And just these two, the biggest traders. And then out of nowhere, over the last few years, we've seen the rise of this group called the Others. And they're believed to be sovereign wealth funds and family offices. They are the, the most sophisticated private investors in the world. And so just to give, an, to give you an idea of how big this really is, 175 million ounces of gold has been withdrawn off the Comex market in a very, very short period of time in these kilo bars. And to put that really in, in perspective, the 50-day average rate of gold withdrawals just hit a new high of 131,293 ounces a day coming off Comex every day um, for the past 50 days. That's a, almost 175 million ounces. And to me, it signifies that the big money sees something wicked coming this way. You take a look at the, the drawdown of silver on Comex, there's only 55 million ounces left in the registered category on Comex because the big money is taking delivery and pulling it out. We've delivered more than that off of Comex in the last five months. In the last month, just off of SLV, almost 100 million ounces was backdoored by the commercial banks out of SLV. There's something called exchange for physical on the London Metals Exchange where silver is being bled down at a record pace one day, just a few weeks ago, over 250 million ounces was taken out of the London Metals Exchange and delivered. Who's taking all of this metal? Where is it going? Why is it being pulled off of the exchanges? And I guess I would submit to you that the biggest money in the world, Jake, always is front running. They're always ahead of the little guy. They're always positioning and using, in this case, the fraudulent price on COMEX to achieve this so much so that Russia just came out and said, we need a new benchmark for the world, and in particular for the BRICS nations, for the Eurasian continents, where you have, you know, Brazil, Russia, China, India, South Africa, all of these countries are demanding a new hub for price setting on, in the gold market. They want it to be fixed in, in, um, in Russia it, and, and to, as they put it, sidestep the manipulative price fixing of COMEX and the LME. So you have an awakening, I think, that not only is gold and silver um, a hedge against inflation, uh, it has no counterparty risk, is not simultaneously someone else's liability, as Doug Casey is famous for saying, but the removal of all the counterparty risk by pulling it off of these exchanges, which are fraudulent in, in many respects, 
very fraudulent, where JP Morgan can pay a $920 million fine for suppressing the, the metals market, where three of their traders, including Michael Nowak, who read, ran their desk, have all been found guilty for manipulating the market, haven't been sentenced yet, but are looking at years and years in prison. You have the rest of the world who's been massively accumulating it too, now calling for a new price setting uh, uh, hub, and, and they want it in Moscow. They want to strip it away from the West, who has been creating a perception of reality that that you know you don't need to buy precious metals; just stay in uh, traditional Western-based assets like stocks, bonds, real estate, and keep the engine going. But it's beginning to break, and you can see that by massive withdrawals off of these exchanges in, in a fashion that we've never seen before. So where do you put your money? You know, I try to be objective. Uh, I think people see through people who aren't. And I look at if someone handed me a $20 million bill, what am I going to do with it? Do you put it in fixed income where you're guaranteed a negative, uh, a negative real return? No. You put it in equities that are at all-time highs that would be inversely correlated to a rise in rates? No. How about a bond market? That it's the end of a 30-year bull market that has been, you know, pushed down to levels that, you know, yeah, they moved them up a little bit, but you're still negative real return. You aren't going into fixed income. And that's where people used to go, by the way. When times got tough, you would go from risk on in stocks to risk off in bonds. But at a negative real return, look, they say gold doesn't pay any interest, but it sure beats the hell out of a negative 5 or 6% return if you buy the numbers that we are being fed on inflation. If you use John Williams' numbers from shadow stats at 18% and you're getting three on a 10-year treasury, you're negative 15% compounding. Who's going to do that? Are we to believe that the Cayman Islands is the entity that's buying all of the U.S. treasuries as they would like us to believe? Because over the last seven months, China has not missed a beat. It's selling bonds month over month over month over month to the tune of almost $120 billion. And, you know, the weaponizing of the dollar made all of our foes like the Chinese say, hmm, are we next? Because they're looking at Taiwan. Do they want to, to continue to buy our assets, to buy our treasuries, thinking that they may be the next one that's sanctioned uh, and, and assets frozen? No, they don't. And so we are entering a period of time where traditional assets need to be looked at a little bit differently, where unconventional times call for unconventional decisions. And I would simply say to you this, I am not the poster child for Finance 101. I have missed out on a lot. I personally have been nearly 100% invested in metals for 20 years. Wasn't always the best decision, but I sleep like a baby every single night. And I think when, when this cycle finishes its... Um, finishes it, it, it's 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 full circle when it, when when the dust settles um people are going to look at traditional assets very differently maybe the way that the japanese did uh over the last 30 years because when i started in this industry jay the japanese nikkei was 40,000 they own pebble beach rockefeller center a center uh uh casinos in vegas ski resorts in in colorado they made better uh, motherboards and engines than anyone in the world, anything electronic, they made better. And here we are 30 years later with their interest rates at or near zero the whole time. And it's not even two thirds of the way back. I think this time, this is going to be a different cycle. And I think when rates rise, whether it be by the Fed, which I don't believe, or by the market, which I do, which is going to, to push the Fed's hands, and maybe that's intended, 
um, then I think you'll you'll people will understand what I mean by this time it's different. And I think traditional assets right now are not the place to be. Now there are a lot of people who might disagree with me, but for me, I'm doing what I see the biggest money in the world doing, and what I've seen them do now for the past six years, and that is accumulate physical precious metals and remove any and all counterparties. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor, follow or subscribe to this podcast, drop me a rating and a review and share this with a friend. All of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show. Now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc. Thanks for tuning in.